Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're connecting the dots at Christmas. So a couple weeks ago, uh, we began this series, and uh, we looked at how uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, a story that we we don't really it's not really familiar to um, to a, a large amount of people. We don't stop at it enough. I don't think around Christmas time. Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, they're connecting the dots. They're figuring out what it's all about, uh, what Christmas is all about, and they struggled a little bit. Zechariah struggled a little bit, but finally they connect. Last week we looked at Mary, and we looked at how she uh, responds with with faith and surrender, and obedience, and worship. And uh, this week, we're going to look at how the shepherds respond. We're going to look at how the shepherds connect uh, the dots, all right? So uh, some of you, uh, you uh, you know what Christmas is all about, right? The dots uh, have connected, and uh, we hope that this series has encouraged you and to remember uh, what we're celebrating this time of year, and for your heart to just swell up with gratitude uh, for what that means for us, uh, that Jesus came, that he didn't stay in a manger. He grew up and died on the cross and rose again. He is our Savior. He is our king. And so I hope that this series has encouraged you. I hope it will continue to encourage you this morning. And as we have our Christmas Eve service uh, this week, uh, this Friday night, don't miss that. Uh, I hope you're making plans to join us. We're going to be right here in this room. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to hear some great music. You're going to hear a brief message. And then we're going to do a candlelight time at the end. So bring your family, friends, yourself, and we'll have a great time celebrating Jesus this week. Uh, for some of you, this may be the first year, maybe the first Christmas ever that the dots connect that you really understand what Christmas is all about by God's grace, that you'll never walk through another Christmas and miss uh, that it's all about Christ, Christ must, that you won't miss ever again, that it's about celebrating him. You know, a lot of people in Jacksonville, Florida right now are waking up this morning. They're celebrating Christmas, but they're missing the point of Christmas. And if you were to go out and you were to poll a bunch of people today and just ask them, what's the point of Christmas, right? Just, you're just a random poll out and you were to interview a lot of people, maybe not involved in church. What's the point of Christmas? What are you looking forward to this week? And a lot of people would, you get a lot of different answers, but I think a lot of people would say things like it's about togetherness, it's about family, uh, it's about, you know, the decorations and it's about uh, Christmas movies and music and food. We all like good food at Christmas time, right? Uh, you might hear things like warmth and serenity or you might even hear people who don't, uh, connect any of this with the Bible or understand what the Bible means about these things, you might hear some words like peace and it's about love and hope and, and joy, right? And those are good things, especially the way that we understand them as Christians. All of those things are, are not bad things. Those are things that we hope to experience, right? Those are certainly things that, that Christmas involves, certainly those different things. Um, but it is interesting to think about what's influ- influenced our idea of what maybe an ideal Christmas would be, what Christmas is all about, what influences people to give some of those different answers. What some of it, what influences the way that we think about Christmas, right? There's a lot of different things that kind of has shaped our culture and the way we think about things. But one guy in particular has had a major impact on the way that we view Christmas. And it's a man named Norman Rockwell. Now, some of you may be uh, familiar with that name. Maybe it's new to some of you. He's an artist that lived in the 1900s. He did a lot of illustrations for a periodical called the Saturday Morning Post. And he published all these different idealized images of Christmas. All right. They were seen all over the country. He became a household name because of these. All right. Some of you might remember this one. This is called uh, Christmas Homecoming. All right. A young man has come home for Christmas. Everybody's excited, excited to see him, especially who's most excited to see him. That's mom right there. Some of you have experienced that moment. Uh, as a mom, your son coming home or somebody coming home for Christmas, grandma's right there. She's ready to jump in, pinch cheeks and hug. And, um, and then you, I like the suitcase. So look at the suitcase busting at the seams with laundry, like bringing it home for mom to do his laundry. I remember those days in college. 
Um, but this does represent, in a way, a kind of an idealized kind of idea we have of Christmas. Togetherness, being together with family. Some of you are here uh, this weekend. You're here the, today because you're here visiting family. We, we love having family home for Christmas. All right? And so... Uh, there's that one. So here's another one. This is called Christmas Surprise. All right. So you have uh, dad in the Santa suit, the beard's coming down there. And look at the little boy's expression like, Ooh, what? All right. So he's realizing maybe dad and Santa are working together in some different ways. But uh, I like how the dad's coming up um, behind the mom there. And he, she's so flattered by this surprise kiss that she's dropped the things in her hand. She's dropped the gifts that you, you know, how idealized that how ideal this is. You know, if I come up behind my wife and I kiss her in such a way that makes her drop the things that she's carrying, she's not going to have that look on her face right there. All right. <laughs> another one here. Here's another one right here. Look at these little kids and mom's kind of peeking through there. And this is a you know, Christmas morning, fresh snow on the ground. We will definitely not be experiencing that this week. Right. You may look out the window Saturday and see sprinklers running, but not snow on the ground. Right. But for some of you, you may have been raised up up north. You know, this may bring back some, some memories of, of snow on the ground around Christmas time. For those of us in Florida, it will take us all the way back. I think to 1989. Y'all remember that? I remember snow. I was, I was young. I mean, we, we didn't know what to do. We went and got skimboards out of the uh, garage that you use at the beach and went to the retention pond by my church that did some Florida snow sledding. That's what we did on, uh, around that Christmas. Uh, but these, these paintings, they're, they're really meant to, um, they, they, we resonate, resonate with them because uh, there's elements in them that we, really, that we really want to experience, right? They bring back memories. Uh, they stir up great memories. They, they capture what we hope to experience at Christmas time, right? And I love those paintings, right? To be honest, I, I hope we have uh, a great Christmas this week. There's parts of all of those that I hope that we get to experience. We're going to do all the Christmas festivities, right? Even today, after church, we're going to my mom's house. She's got, she's got a whole cookie decorating Christmas party. She's going to do with our kids and all the cousins, right? We're going to ride around and listen to Christmas music and look at Christmas lights this week, right? Everybody's going to get in their, their Christmas pajamas on Christmas Eve, and we'll read the Christmas story, and, and we'll uh, you know exchange presents. We look forward to a great a week. We watch some Christmas movies. Um, you know, we're going to try, we're going to try to our best to have the most Norman Rockwell last Christmas that we can have, but you know what? It's going to fall short. You know why? Because as much as we want it to be real life, isn't, isn't lived in a Norman Rockwell painting. All right. Life's broken. Life's messy. Things fall apart. Life's full of pain and challenges and disappointments and loneliness and heartache and struggles. Hey, sometimes Christmas can magnify some of those things in a real way. But life is full of brokenness. And here's the problem, right? Here's the problem of the human, in the human heart is we think foolishly, kind of in our natural state way of thinking, that if we could just figure out a way to just Norman Rockwellize, not just Christmas, but my, my life, if I could just figure out how to put things together in the picture that I'm really longing to see in my life, if I could just get things right, if I could just fix things, I could then find the purpose, I could find the peace that I really, really long for. If I could just get that job, when I get perfect health, if I can fix my finances, when my guy gets in the Oval Office, when I get that raise that I really want, when my family starts acting the way that I want them to act, maybe like those little kids in the window, if everybody could just get along. But let me tell you something this morning. There's a problem in our world and in our life that's out of our control. It's called brokenness. It's a fracturedness in our world and a fractured state between us and our relationship with God. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. And what Christmas teaches us is that you're never going to have real hope. You're never going to have real joy. You're never going to have real peace until you believe in the Prince of Peace. That's what Christmas is about. 
Christmas is not primarily about the lights and the trees and the gifts. It's about the light of the world coming into this world, dying on a tree and raising again and giving us the greatest gift we could ever have. That's eternal life. That's everlasting joy. And that's supernatural peace that we can know and we can experience as we walk through a life that's not always Norman Rockwellized. So for a few moments, let's go back to what we kind of view as the traditional Christmas story. And let's look at this moment and study this moment when that greatest gift came into the world. Would you stand with your Bibles open? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, I pray that you would do the work in our lives, God, that we cannot do in and of our own strength. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help our eyes to see what our eyes can't see on our own. Our ears to hear and our heart to believe and receive your word that is implanted, able to save our souls and able to sanctify us. God, I pray that you conform our minds, not to this world, but to your ways, to your truths. I pray you'd stir up our hearts as we look at this Christmas story, the moment that hope came down, that you came down and put on flesh and all that you did and all that you accomplished, Lord. And I pray you'd just stir our hearts with love for you, that we'd love you more with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength as a result of being together in your word, worshiping you on this Sunday before Christmas. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make three statements about the Christmas news that we're celebrating this week. And really, this is uh, Christmas news that we celebrate every day as believers. And here's the first truth. Ready? It's Christmas news is good news. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to spend more time on this first point and less time on the second, uh, the two last points. All right. But Christmas news is really, really good news. Uh, Let's just review. Let's remember that Dr. Luke, who's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's recording this account in a very particular way. All right. He puts this in, he puts it in the context of history here. Right. This can be cross checked with secular historians. All right. So the point is this is not to be read as a fairy tale. Right. This is not a once in, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. Right. This isn't Lord of the Rings, something that happened because somebody crawled through a hobbit hole. All right. This is read, meant to be read as history. All right. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke writes, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And this uh, Caesar, his name was Octavian. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. He was known uh, in those days as the emperor of peace because he brought an end to a very violent civil war, a year long civil war in that area of the world. He was viewed by many as they viewed a lot of the Caesars as a God. They worshiped him. 
All right, and it was common for those Roman, uh, those Caesars, they in the Roman governments, they would do these uh, uh, pretty much every decade would do these global censuses. All right, so they did that for tax reasons. Caesar wanted to make sure he got all the money that he felt he was owed, and also did it so he could get a record of how many men he could enlist or draft into his army. But this census is why Mary and Joseph are traveling. So historically, we, we understand, there you go, why this is happening. Theologically, we know why it's happening. All right, this is a, uh, this is a part of this story that encourages our hearts as it testifies to the power and the might and the sovereign rule of our God over everything. That we serve it. Think about this. We serve a God who is so powerful and is so in control that he's moving the gears behind that ancient world in those Roman times. He's, he's behind the happenings of the world and in such control that he set a global census to be set in motion so that an ordinary pregnant couple from Nazareth would travel into Bethlehem for the birth of their first child. He's that in charge. Caesar thinks that it's all about his exaltation. And what he doesn't realize is he's an instrument in the hand of a sovereign God who's paving the way for the exaltation of Christ. Church, God is that in control. He's that in control of this world. He's that in control of your life. So Mary and Joseph, they travel uh, 80 long miles. Mary, of course, very pregnant. And they finally make it to Bethlehem, a town seven miles southwest of Jerusalem. And here is, here's an interesting fact about Bethlehem, all right? It was originally named by the Canaanites when they were occupying the promised land. And they originally, uh, they named it Bethlehem, all right? It was named after a Canaanite god, Lakama is the god. And it was a god of fertility who they thought had the power to bring life, all right? So Bethlehem was actually originally named after a Canaanite god. And then Joshua, you know, leads the Israelites through the promised land on the conquest. And they begin to take back the promised land. And they conquer the city. And they rename it in Hebrew, Beit Lahem. All right? Beit means house. Lahem means bread. All right? So this town that we know as Bethlehem goes from a town that was called the house of comma, false god, to the house of bread. All right? That's what Bethlehem means. Hold on to that this morning. Hold on to that for a few moments. All right, so God's carefully guided Mary and Joseph to this small town. In verse 7, we don't know why, but there was no room for them in the inn, forcing them to stay in what we believe was a stable. Uh, they find themselves in a situation that really kind of blows up the filtered versions of nativities that we have or we've grown accustomed to in our minds. Right? This is probably a cave, a hole in the side of a hill, a place where animals were kept and the stench of animals lingered. Not a fun place to have a child. Right? So these lowly conditions, in these lowly conditions, think about it, they're being overlooked by those lodging in the inn. They're unnoticed. They're, being, they're going unnoticed by the very world that this baby created. And this is the conditions that he's born into. And she takes the Savior of the world and lays him in a manger, literally translated feeding troughs. It's feeding trough. So the conditions are awful, right? And so the world looks at this and it's like, man, this is the, this looks like the worst night ever for this little Hebrew couple. And yet looks can be deceiving because in all actuality, this is the best night for humanity ever. The peace giver is born. This is the moment all the messianic prophecies, we covered some of those when we did the gospel thread series through the Old Testament, how all of it points to Jesus. This is the moment that all of those messianic prophecies become true, right? Prophecy is like when you hit the link or when you put everything in the digital cart in Amazon, right? That's, that's the prophecy, right? The, the, the delivery, the fulfillment is when that gift shows up on your doorstep. This is that moment when the gift has arrived. 
This is that moment that all of humanity, that the world, that creation itself has grown for and looked forward to. And the prophet Micah, all these different prophets help kind of connect the dots, but nobody kind of does it in this situation, in this story, in this part of scripture, in this narrative, better than Micah, I believe. Micah chapter five, verse two through five says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand in the sh- and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The moment's come. The Messiah is born. Light has pierced through the darkness. The rescuer has come into the world. Hope has come down. A peace giver has been given. This is the moment. It happened. And it was good news of great joy, good news that all the world needed to hear. And who is the first to hear this good news of great joy? An unexpected audience. A bunch of ordinary shepherds out on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. Look at verse 8. Let's read it again. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So these shepherds are out there working the night shift, and all of a sudden, I mean, literally, the curtain of heaven opens up, and the glory of God spills out on top of them on that hillside, and it says they're filled with fear. Now, why are they filled with fear? And I've gone over this already you know, once over the last two weeks. I'm going to go over it again. Three times a charm. Ready? Why, do they, why are they filled with fear? Why do we wonder about their reaction? And why every time an angel shows up, a human being, the Bible falls over like a fainting goat, just kind of falls flat on their face. Why do people get complete, completely terrified? It's because our view of angels has been distorted. It's deeply ingrained into us because of the, the, the culture that we continue to live in that's continuously uh, and still is influenced deeply when it it comes to viewing angels and how angels are depicted, it's influenced by the artwork that goes all the way back to the 15 and 1600s. That's what scholars believe, why we have such a distorted view of angels. It goes back to that time. Guys like Michelangelo. If you think about the Sistine Chapel, beautiful paintings, people love to go there and marvel and gawk and look at that. And But those images that you even see on the Sistine Chapel ceiling still influence the way that we think about angels. We were at Epcot um, recently, and we were riding um, Spaceship Earth. It's the one inside the big spiky golf ball looking thing. And there's that part of the ride where they have like an animatronic, you know, Michelangelo laying on a scaffolding up high in the air. And they have, you know, a replica of the Sistine Chapel and he's there painting. All right. As we're riding through that, Max said, Hey, who's that guy? Who's the guy painting? And Rebecca said, well, that's Michelangelo, right? He's a really, really important, a very important influential painter, like right? in history, one of the most important painters to ever, ever live. And Max said, Oh, yeah, like Bob Ross, right? It's like Max is crowning Bob Ross as our generation's Michelangelo. But if you're familiar with that scene, it's the one that they're painted there at Epcot, and you can look it up online, one of the most iconic scenes in that whole uh, collage of different uh, figures that Michelangelo painted. That image of it's supposed to be God and Adam, you know, and they're kind of touching. And um, if you look in the background, you see all these little baby angels peeking through and looking, right? Listen, and, and, and that has influenced the way that we think about angels, right? We think about angels, these little Pillsbury doughboy wings. You poke them in the belly and they're going to laugh. Listen, you really understand what an angel is? You ain't touching an angel. 
warrior-like, otherworldly, supernatural beings. And so here's these shepherds tending to, their, tending to their sheep. Can you imagine what it was like? Working the night shift, pitch black outside. Probably a lot of the sheep were sleeping, but they're keeping watch. You can probably hear a little bit of the breeze blowing, some bugs maybe giving some ambiance, some background noise. Maybe a, a bye every once in a while. And then all of a sudden, boom, the glory of God shone around them. And it says, as all of us were, they were scared. But then they hear immediately the two best words. I love these two words in scripture. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. I want you to think about that word this morning, joy. It's here for a reason. Good news of great joy. Then think about that word joy and then listen to what else comes through. As the, as the sky tears back in verse 14, it says a multitude of heavenly hosts. Multitude, that's our word plethora. All right, so this, the scholars believe that it very well could have been all of the angels and all of heaven uh, looking through, singing this song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. In other words, God wants to make sure something's very, very clear here. Something's clearly communicated that Jesus being born, first of all, is not... Is not good news of small joy, but of great joy. And in a world that desperately wants peace and lacks peace, that a peace giver has come. And his name is Jesus. And in a relationship with Jesus, it leads to a new life of supernatural inner peace and everlasting great joy. That is really, 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 really good news. Because see, without Christ, the best thing this world has to offer you is happiness. Fleeting happiness. There's a big difference between happiness as the world defines it and experiencing and knowing the joy of Christ. That's why, listen, if you are not walking with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you're walking through another Christmas and have never come to Christ and you aren't experiencing his peace and everlasting joy, listen, Christmas is going to let you down again this year. Because, listen, all the world can offer you is happiness that ebbs and flows with your circumstances. It's circumstantial. But you can feel it for a minute. You may feel it when you get everybody there on Saturday and everybody's kind of on their best behavior. And everybody's hugging, everybody's happy. And you got your, you got your room, you got your house looking like a Hallmark movie house. And you got a Hallmark movie playing in the background. And you got Christmas music playing in the background. Everybody's getting along. And you got all the food out. And it's all on time. Can you believe it? We've got it all out on time. And the table's set. And you got your honey baked ham. And you, you've, and somebody's prayed. And you've cut the, cut the ham. And you got your family there. And everybody's there. And smiles on everybody's faces. And it's like, in your mind, you're like, this is it. All in the world is right until then all of a sudden your, your, your liberal-minded cousin begins to, to, to commentate on, on a current event and then your, your, your very stubborn conservative uncle who ain't going to back down from a lively conversation ever begin to lock horns and you're like, there it goes. All the happiness out the window. Some parents, you know, you got high hopes that, man, this Christmas, you really believe this is going to be the Christmas, right? You, you know what's coming. This is going to be the Christmas when they get what they're really asking for in their hearts for the first time ever, like never, just going to explode with gratitude for everything we are as parents. Don't hold your breath. I got a PlayStation 5 with only two games, really? We'll see. We'll see the disappointment in our kids. Right, I got seven, seven no, I don't have seven kids. I've got three kids. Hopefully that's not prophetic. I've got three kids. I got a seven-year-old, and I've got an eleven-year-old, and I've got a fourteen-year-old, right? And just like me, they'll open presents on Saturday. You know, paper will be flying and there'll be smiles on everybody's faces, and it'll just be excitement all over the place. 
And then next Wednesday, the same toy that just the world was just, it could never be better is over in the corner forgotten about. All the world can offer you is fleeting happiness. Listen, that is tied to toys that break and to circumstances that are always changing. These are just Christmas day letdowns. These are just Christmas day disappointments. Life is full of disappointments. Life is full of problems that are out of our control at times. Full of pain and heartache and interruptions and changed plans and trials. But here's the great news of Christmas. That in Jesus, through anything you go through in this life, if you're a child of God, if you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, through all the trials, through all the pain, through all the heartache, he offers you a divine peace and everlasting joy that is different than the fleeting happiness that the world offers. To where no matter what the circumstance is, you can somehow supernaturally with a heart of faith say it is well with my soul. We see the people that are in the story connecting the dots like that. You think about Mary right here. Right? Mary's life does not get easier. She's not going to live a Norman Rockwellized life on earth. She and Joseph are going to remain dirt poor. We know that because the sacrifice we see them going to offer when they run into Simeon later in this chapter... It's the poor man's sacrifice. Rest of her life, as we learn later in the Gospels, she probably continues to fight the reputation in her community that Jesus is father, is not Joseph. Doesn't believe her story. She'll have to watch her son whose hands that she holds. Let me back up on that a second because some of you Bible scholars are wondering what I meant by that. She'll have, to fight the, she'll have to fight the bad reputation in the community that she was a loose woman and that the story that she came up with was a story she just came up with. She'll have to watch her son whose hands she's holding right there. One day she'll have to watch her son who she loves be crucified on a Roman cross and see nails be driven through those hands and nails be driven through those feet and a, and a crown of thorns be driven down onto his head. She'll have to watch him die. For her and Joseph, listen, they've already lived through a lot of difficult circumstances as a young couple. They've lived through hard circumstances. Listen, that will not change, but everything will. That will not change, but everything will because they'll know the Prince of Peace. They know the one who is going to save them and forgive them of their sins and die for them and give them eternal life and everlasting joy. A joy that's not tied to changing circumstance. A joy that's rooted in our position as a child of God and in the satisfaction of knowing that Jesus is enough. Do you know, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, let me tell you what you got. And if you're walking through Christmas and haven't got a relationship with Christ, let me tell you what you're missing out on. You, you have the joy of Christ. You have a joy rooted in the promise that you may lose a lot in this life. Hey, you may suffer greatly. You may lose everything. But in Christ, you'll be okay because you never lose God. And he never loses you. That'll buoy your heart right there. That's some indestructible buoyancy for your soul to know, listen, that no winds, no storms in this life, no trials, even death itself cannot touch your soul. Death itself cannot separate you from the love of God. That'll buoy your heart. Once you have Jesus, listen, your circumstances may never change. You never get that promise when you come to Jesus. You pray it'll happen. You pray some of the impossible things that you think could never change, could change, and God may do it, and you'll glorify him for that, but there's no promise for that. And even if your circumstances never change, the environment of your heart, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, will change when you believe and know Jesus in a personal way. It's good news of great joy. And here's what makes, here you go. Here's what makes it, Amazingly awesome good news. Good news of great joy. It's for anybody. 
It's for everybody. The second point this morning, Christmas news is good news for everybody. In verse 10, the angel says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. Listen, God's not just saying that's the case. He's proving that's the case by going to the guys that he's going to out on that hillside, by going to these shepherds first. He doesn't go to philosophers first. He doesn't go to kings first. He doesn't go to priests first. He doesn't go to scholars first. He goes to the ordinary. He goes to the low. He goes to the humble. We see him doing this at the end of his ministry when he's standing there as the resurrected Christ commissioning a bunch of ordinary fishermen and ordinary tax collectors. But we see him doing it at the very beginning of his life right here. He pursues these shepherds and he says, for unto you is born this day a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the only place, the only verse in all of scripture where all three of those titles for Jesus are found in one place. He's savior. That's his mission. He comes to rescue sinners. Christ, that's his office. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He has the power to deliver us from our sin. Not just the desire. He has the power to do it. He's Lord. This is his authority. He comes to rule. He comes to reign. This is the eternal, think about it. This is the eternal King of Kings and Lord of Lords who will never be overthrown, who will never be conquered, who will never be impeached. Christmas is all about this King choosing to come into this world and offering salvation and peace and everlasting joy, not to just some people, to all people, not to just a select group, but to all nations. And that good news, listen, is sinking into the hearts of these ordinary shepherds with that phrase there, for unto you. That's what, that's what shocks them. That's what shakes them up. That the, the, the heavens have opened up and the voice of God's coming out of heaven through these angels. And they're saying, for unto you. That's, that's, that's a unique birth announcement, right? I mean, if a child's been born, you would expect the birth announcement to go something like this. For unto Mary is born this day in the city of David. She's the mother of Jesus, right? But the angel says to them, for unto you is born this day. Certainly, listen, Hebrew shepherds would have been aware of the messianic prophecies that one day a, prof, a, a Messiah would come and would make everything right. There's a difference though right here for some shepherds. There's a difference in knowing that's true and then all of a sudden understanding and believing that that's true for you. Listen, you're a shepherd in the first century. You didn't have good social standing in the community. You had no social power. You were deprived of your civil rights. You had a bad reputation. You were looked down. You were a moral outcast because of the type of work that you were in. You couldn't observe Israel's ceremonial laws. They had nothing in the eyes of the religious world. They had nothing to offer. In a religious world that said, hey, you better stand upright and straighten upright and read upright and clean upright in order for you to ever be blessed by God. You try to do that for the rest of your life and maybe you'll get in. They had nothing to offer. These guys had never darkened the door of the temple. They weren't allowed. They're outcasts, they're nobodies. In that religious culture, they're viewed as losers. And yet God pursues these guys in their darkness. Guys work in the night shift, turns on the Christmas lights and says, for unto you, this is for you. This is Christ, he's a personal savior. You can call him mine. This is a truth that Jesus comes, listen, to save all image bearers. He comes to save all people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He comes for the rich person. He comes for the poor person. He comes for the weak people. He comes for the strong people. He comes for the famous people. He comes for the forgotten people. This is good news, not just for the religious. This is good news, hey, listen, for the rule follower and the rule breaker. This is good news for the self-righteous and the rebellious. 
The scandalous invitation of Christmas is that there has been a Savior who is born, and here is the message. It's unto you. The angels appearing to these shepherds shows us that. And the angel says in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's an important part of this. That's just not giving them kind of, okay, some really specific directions. Sometimes it's taught that way. Oh, thank you, you small town. I should be able to find that. Let's go. That's an important detail. Every part of this is orchestrated and put into place by the perfect hand of sovereign God. Listen, who has love in his heart for all peoples. And what is he doing right here? Listen, the angel could have brought a different message. What if the angel would have said, you will find this baby laid in a crib in a fancy nursery inside of a big palace in a place that's fit for a king? If that's the message, the shepherds are never leaving that field. They don't belong there. He can't be a savior for us. But when they hear he's been placed in a manger and then they perk up and they realize this savior who has come has come to save even shepherds like us. He came down to the lowest of lows as if to say there is no barrier in him to anyone who wants to be saved. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. I don't care what your rap sheet looks like. I don't care what legal trouble you've been in. I don't care how far you are away from what you in your mind consider the things of God. You are the one that Jesus comes to save. He's coming after you. As one commentator says, he says it this way. There is no obstacle in Jesus to coming. There is no obstacle in Jesus to you coming to experience salvation. He can save anybody. If there's any obstacle, it's always found only in one place in your heart, never in his. The Christmas news is good news of great joy. Listen, because it's for everybody. But here's the third truth. Christmas news is good news that must be received personally. It must be personally experienced. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But, but Mary treasured up all of these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is a very important part of this story. In that they don't just hear the good news about a savior who's coming. They just don't listen to a nice concert, you know, from heavenly uh, hosts, from angels and go, man, that was nice. That was great. That was different. We haven't had, haven't experienced that before. Let's get back to work. No, they look at each other and they said, let's go. And they put one foot in front of the other. The haste doesn't mean they ran and Forrest dumped it through the hills. It means it was immediate obedience. It was, it meant they believed it and they're taking steps of faith to go check this out. They didn't want to just hear it. They wanted to experience it. Listen, the good news that Jesus came to save you and to bring you eternal life and everlasting joy and divine peace, listen, isn't just to be heard. It's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be believed. It's meant to be encountered. It's meant to be looked at with eyes of faith. Listen, good news is only good news if it's personally experienced faith. Good news is only good news if, it's, if it personally affects you. Think about what the shepherds would have missed had they heard the story, saw the glory, and never took steps towards Bethlehem to find Jesus. 
And yet, is that not the tragic reality of what's happening in millions and millions of people's lives right now as I speak, right here in Jacksonville, Florida, across the world? People who will move through Christmas, Christmas, they'll say his name. People who can't, as much as they want to, detach themselves from his birth. We're sophisticated in a technologically advanced age more than ever. And yet you, you may not believe, you may believe this is a fairy tale. You may believe this is far-fetched. You may believe that this is something that people use as a crutch to get through life. You may, you're here with a family member. You're here with somebody because you, you needed to come. You make sure you didn't stir things up. And in your short time in this earth, you are convinced that this book is ancient and it can't be real. And you live your life and your American life and with all of your conveniences and with all the technology and yet the smartphone in your pocket with all the technology that's packed in that thing has a date on it. 2021. 2021 years from what? You can't get away from him. Millions of people will walk through Christmas and say Merry Christmas and listen to Christmas music without ever coming to Christ. Well, ever celebrating his birth. Yesterday was Max's birthday. He turned seven yesterday. So we had a fun day. And uh, he was excited. And uh, he was probably more excited the day before because that was Friday, the day before his actual birthday. But at school, they let you bring cupcakes if it's your birthday. And you get to hand out the cupcakes. You get to be the birthday kid, right? So he was looking forward to that all week. Man, he got his cupcakes. We went and got uh, enough cupcakes for all the kids. And he had his, his cupcakes and walked into school that morning. And he was excited about giving out cupcakes. He was excited about them saying his name over the intercom system because they say happy birthday in the morning announcements if it's your birthday. He was excited about wearing his t-shirt that said the birthday dude. (laughs) And it was a half day and I go pick him up and I could tell someone was wrong with him and he kind of was on the verge of tears. And I said, what's wrong, man? Did you have a good day? He said, man, I gave out my cupcakes. They said my name on the intercom system. It was my birthday. I wore my birthday dude t-shirt and not one person told me happy birthday. Think about how I feel, right? I was like, hold on a second. What? Do they always sing happy birthday? He's like, yeah. I was like, they, they, they kind of old me kind of came up. You know, I was like, I'm about to turn that truck around. I'm about to go in there and get some answers. I'm about to barge up into this office. I'm about to grab the intercom system. I'll sing happy birthday to him for the whole school to hear. And then I came to my senses and I said, don't be that parent. I said, it's a half day, you know, maybe um, Christmas stuff's happening. It fell through the cracks. Life goes on. It'll be fine. But I thought about it a little bit. He was upset. We got through it. He's fine. He bounces back quick. But later that day, I, I said, Max, let me talk to you for a second. I said, I thought about this. I'm sorry that happened to you, by the way, today. He goes, yeah, I know. I said, let me tell you something you might not have thought about. It. I said, Jesus kind of knows how you feel. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, people forget his birthday all the time. I said, now, listen, Max, I'm not saying you're Jesus. Let's make sure that's clear. (laughs) But every year, people come to the party. Every year, people celebrate Christmas. Every year, people say Merry Christmas to each other. And every year, many of those people never acknowledge his birth and don't praise him for what his birth means and the work that he came to accomplish. So I tell you that story. One, if you see Max today, just give him a happy birthday for me. Not too much. I don't want him to think he's a charity case or anything. But I also share it, listen, it burdens my heart 
to think that even some of you will hang around Christmas, will be familiar with the story and just stay out in the fields and never come to this Jesus and encounter him in a personal way. Think about what the shepherds would have missed. Think about the beautiful thing the sovereign hand of God is doing right here. You can't make this up. Remember what I told you to file away? Think about what's happening. Think about what God is doing. How you have Jesus here, the image of the invisible God, the true life giver, born in a town originally named after a Canaanite false god who claimed it could give life. Born in Bethlehem, now called the house of bread, Jesus would later declare himself as the bread of life. John 6, 33. And that night you have the bread of life being placed in a feeding trough in the house of bread Bethlehem so that a world in spiritual famine, shepherds who are spiritually hungry for eternal life and everlasting joy and divine peace could come to the table of God's grace and be fed. What if they'd have stayed in the fields? Think about what they would have missed. But they don't miss it. They walk into Bethlehem. They find Jesus. And their lives are changed forever. Listen, you you can find a lot of things at Christmas. You can experience a lot of things at Christmas. But if you don't find Jesus and if you don't experience his grace, you have missed the point. Let me be real clear about what I mean when I talk about finding Jesus. I'm not talking about just kind of mentally, you know, assenting to all these things and just in your mind kind of going and going, oh, yeah, baby Jesus. I'm talking about with a heart of faith, going to that manger with a heart of faith. And believing what God's word said, that baby who was laid in that feeding trough grew up to do for you. We don't celebrate eight pound baby Jesus in a feeding trough. We celebrate a, celebrate a savior, who a God who put on flesh, who was laid in a manger but didn't stay in a manger. He grew up to live the life that you can't live, a holy life. He's our substitute, a righteous life. You can't do it. We can't do it. We, we should uh, obey God's law, but we can't. We break it. Romans 3, 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You've broken it and I've broken it. Jesus comes and lives the life that we can't live. He earns the favor of God through the way he lives. He's the one who hears God look over his life and say, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. He lives that for you. You can't do it. You're separated from God in your sins. Jesus grows up and does it in your place. And then he goes to the cross and he absorbs the wrath of God, not just for you, instead of you. You should have taken that punishment. And then he's buried in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, up from the grave, he arose Proving that he is the son of God. Proving that the work he set out to accomplish, he accomplished. And now he's the resurrected king, ascended to the right hand of God, willing to dispense grace and love and mercy and eternal life and everlasting joy and divine peace into the lives of people who repent of their sins and trust that gospel. Alone for the forgiveness of their sins. Don't go through another Christmas and not come to Christ. Find him, make it personal. And if you know him, keep it personal. There is not new revelation. Maybe you're apathetic in your Christian faith right now. Maybe you haven't stopped and you really haven't recognized the way that you should in this Christmas season. Listen, if that's where you are, the answer for your life right now is not some new revelation from me. 
The answer for your life, for you to get back on track and to restore fellowship with God and to get your heart to swell up with some worship for this Jesus. Listen, it's not some new revelation. It's not some new some podcast. It's not some new worship album. It's not some, it's some new preacher you need to find. You need to go back. Listen, it is. it may not be new news to you. It wasn't new news to Mary, but what does she do? She doesn't stop letting it linger in her heart and pondering it and treasuring it. It may not be new news to you. Listen, but it's not old news. It's glorious news. And that never changes. The greatest thing you need this morning is not something new. You need to go back to the truth that you already know. You need to return once again to the Savior who was laid in a manger but went to a cross for you and rose again and he's given you everlasting joy and he's given you divine peace. Let's pray.